mind iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, yo, yo. Welcome in, golf fans. My name is Joe Idoni. At Tour Picks is where you can find me on Twitter, and you have stumbled upon the Preferred Lines golf betting program. We're here tonight to cover the Waste Management Phoenix Open. That little, nice, little, comfortable nine iron for him that you heard there, that was from a Tiger Woods hole-in-one at this event back in the day, long before the stadium. But here's what we're going to do this week. I'm going to bring a guest on in just a moment. We're going to recap the shortened Pebble Beach. We're going to talk a little bit about Live Mayakoba. We're going to look ahead to TPC Scottsdale this week and what kind of, what the course data tells us to expect. And then, of course, look through the odds board and try to give some picks to win. And we'll finish up with final thoughts. Um, wanted to mention this show is presented by the good friends and the good people over at Rotoballer. Right now, you can use the promo code LINES. The promo code LINES is going to get you a weekly subscription to all content for myself and all the people over there for less than $7 a week. Uh, you're going to get access to the Discord channel. I'm 11-1-1 in head-to-head matchups this year. Uh, went on a torrent run last year in the Tour Junkies Discord. Brought that over to the Rotoballer team this year crushing it. The market movers piece is going to be up tomorrow. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying that and make sure to check that out. The promo code there is lines. Finally, a friendly reminder to those new listeners and those old that I greatly appreciate you joining the show and it's hundred percent free of charge available on Twitter and YouTube. Take three seconds, hit the like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel. That would mean a whole heck of a lot to me and be grateful for your health, your family, for your life. Uh, knock that out. Thank you very much, friends. And now I'm honored Honored to welcome back our guest this week into the show, a recurring guest now through the years, the host and the founder of the Pat Mayo Experience, uh, the most recognizable voice and figure in golf betting content, the incomparable. Welcome back, Pat Mayo. What's up, brother? I don't think I can hold that moniker. Eventually, you have to get a bet correct to hold that moniker. And it's been like three years for me, so I, I relinquished the title. I'm on such a cold run right now, too. Maybe we just needed to get together and flush out a winner here out of the system. Um, Quick note, because I heard you talking to Jeff earlier about this, and I shared the sentiment with you. Have you seen these sportsbooks are paying out those Wyndham Clark bets? Good. Oh, so I'm happy that they're paying people out. It just, I would have never went in with the expectation that they were going to pay me out. So right. if you did get paid out, that's awesome. But congratulations on that. I saw Fanatics paid out. Uh, who else paid out? Someone on Hard Rock in Florida, I think, paid out. Uh, a lot of them didn't. And if I was a sports book, I wouldn't. But not not on the full bet. Like any bet that was made before the conclusion of round three, I would pay out. And I believe all of those did get paid out, even if it was 10 minutes beforehand. Maybe there's a scummy book that did or didn't. But um, there, I did see someone. They It was at BetMGM. They tweeted at me. I tried to reach out to BetMGM to see what happened. So I don't know whether they paid out or not. But the guy put a huge sum of money on a Scotty Scheffler top five, I think it was. Uh, and he was T6 going into the final round. And they, they canceled the tournament. They were just like, nah, it's a loss. Oh, no. So, so they got him on that one. Well, it, I, I don't know. Because if they didn't pay out the winners, then I think that he has a case that that should be voided like everything else was right. voided. Now, if they did pay out the winners, I think he's SOL on that one. 
yeah, like you guys talked about, the gamblers have gotten a little bit soft. I think it just kind of shows more than anything probably how little exposure they have to golf and that they're not willing to just deal with the complaints. They're like, fuck it, let's pay it out. What's a couple thousand dollars in uh, in golf bets? But good for you if you had that ticket. I did not. Let's get – I have a question for you, Pat. So let's say that you get a phone call from this SSG group, and they're looking for additional investors. They have valued the PGA Tour and its assets at $12 billion, almost double what the original deal was valued at when the original merger came on CNN last year. Um, are you are going anywhere near touching that as a product you'll ever see a dollar back in? If I'm the – that group like do i ever expect to make any money off this is what you're asking yes yes no absolutely not right <laughs> but it what it does like it's a group of billionaires like whatever but it does not that they didn't have the access to it but now it does give you direct access for all of your other business opportunities as well i mean the pga tour you're dealing with fedex you're dealing with high-end investment firms insurance firms whatever it might be it's sort of like a I don't know. It's like a CEO boys club essentially is what yeah. the PGA tour is when it comes to sponsorship. So now you're in there as well. You, know, you can dictate that this happens or that happens, or maybe you get a cutback of sponsors fees, or maybe that you do see that there is value. Listen, when Balmer bought the Clippers, people kind of like laughed at how much he paid for the Clippers. Now it's worth like three times, whatever the hell we pay, like 4 billion. Yeah. People are like, ah, I think like the Phoenix sun sold for like 6 billion or something like that. So right. maybe they do see that there are so few investments right now, long-term that a sports team, a sports league, whatever it might be, uh, are just assets that are going to appreciate. Unlike almost anything that exists in media right now, like everything is depreciating in value. Things are coming cheaper, uh, whereas sports rights continue to go up. So maybe a $3 billion investment, which is nothing for these guys in an entire league where you now own one quarter of it. If you can get a good media rights deal or try to build that out, or if all of a sudden, you know, 4 million viewers on a Sunday, on a good Sunday is worth a hell of a lot of money. Well, then it's probably quite profitable for you. I wouldn't imagine it's going to happen. It just seems like an infusion of cash to keep yeah. live out for the moment and keep the PGA Tour afloat. But I don't know. Man, they're billionaires. I'm not. They must know what they're doing. Yeah, I think it's where they put the infusion of cash. I think the assumption is a lot of it is just going to be trickled down to the players who are already playing for ridiculous purchase purses excuse me um but i would love to see some of this 1.5 billion in cash be allocated toward the product and i think players are starting to get on board with this we heard the comments from colin morikawa um multiple players have come out and spoken about the lack in the poorness of golf tv coverage where do you see that bet that money that they have and they've accumulated where does it put best to use in terms of golf coverage? Because I think you know more about the ins and outs of how the basic operation goes than maybe anyone on here. Well, it has to go towards the infrastructure because that's really the problem. When it, like the reason that the Players Championship is able, I mean, you would know this probably better than anyone else, being not local to the players, but being in Florida, that it's easy to get around Florida. It's easy to keep your equipment in Florida. You play the same course every single year. It's not going anywhere. You know where to set up cameras. Uh, it's at the PGA Tour HQ. Like that makes a lot of sense. I bet you they could do that at PGA National as well if they really wanted to you know get those cameras down and it's not a huge equipment pull so i don't know as much about it 
as a lot of people. But I think that there are certain logistics that we do overlook, myself included, when it comes to, oh, we should have every shot on every hole. I think that should be the goal, but we can't even get shot link equipment to Mexico in order to track shots for an event. Hell, it doesn't even work half the time when we have it anyway. That for years, one of the biggest pushbacks when I met with TV networks about this stuff, well, they're just like, well, we can't put that on air. That looks like crap. It's like we're Fox, we're ESPN, like it has to have a certain broadcast quality or we just can't show it. And it does feel like they're still in that mindset when the people who would actually be consuming this stuff don't really give a shit whatsoever, do they? Like, would you care? I mean, it was one thing, like if it was the outlaw tour and the guy who was supposed to follow us around with an iPhone got too drunk the night before and didn't show up. Like, that's one thing. That's like the low end of the bar right. when it comes to live streaming every single shot. But to have like mounted cameras, there was a reality show on MTV that was absolute garbage, but it used to come on after the challenge. I used to watch the first five minutes of it every single week. Its name escapes me, but it was like Survivor, but they just dropped like 10, 20 year olds on an island and they had to like get from checkpoint A to checkpoint B and there was no one around, but they had gone through like the route that they would have to take and they mounted all of these cameras around the jungle so that they basically had an eye in the sky of everything. Now, I have no idea what the production cost was on something like that, but they had every angle covered of where they needed to get it. I'm sure they had a drone or two flying around and they had people in the control room the entire time. And they were able to film the show that way. They could cut it in real time, then have all the backup footage and edit and do a show. Now, that's not live. They have time to go back and fix any errors that may have happened. Mm -hmm. uh, but that is a way that you could do it. Like one of the main reasons that I'm able to have my show and I, now everyone kind of does it. But at first, people couldn't understand how I was able to shoot a studio quality show <laughs> without having a eight people work on a show because that's how it's done. It's like, well, I don't need three cameramen. What if I just lock the camera and don't move and I can have three cameras around me at all times? And people were like, the student, when I say people, I mean like people that work in production that I work with at TV networks, they were saying like, well, you can't do that. You need cameramen. It's like, it'll be okay, man. Like people on the internet aren't going to care. And think about how much, even what you see on TV now, when a guest calls into ESPN, they have like wired headphones. No one told them to turn their phone. They're doing the phone like this way instead of yeah. turning it this way. So it looks like a fucking TV screen to yeah. like, and you have to put on like black bars on the side. Like Aaron Rodgers still like, hasn't figured this out being on Pat McAfee yeah. all this time. Like right. the, the, and like McAfee is the best version of kind of like what I'm doing now. I'm sure he's yeah. a production team now, but he was able to like take his crew, his small crew of people didn't really matter what it looked like. It looked good enough and it was a certain quality, but after that it was all about the content and it's going to be exactly the same thing with this. Like there needs to be a certain bar that you need to, clear at the low end once you're past that i think it's all bets are off and it's we're good to go here i even had the idea if you really want to test this out to see who was actually interested in it just hire i don't know how many how many groups go out every single week like at a time oh how many groups at a time i mean like 40 yeah yeah Hire 40 people just as a test case and get them to do audio only. And you can check in with the group on a live. Like, we, I love listening to the serious like free stream yes. on the PGA app. If I could pick which group I wanted to follow and it was real time, that would be awesome. And that would be very low cost as like a one one off. Make it known that this is going on and see if it goes in, because that's always really kind of the sneaky reality of all of this. Right. Is this just something? 1% of golf fans would actually consume. It's just, we know all of those 1% because they're all in our sphere. Now, 
how much do you have to charge for this in order to make it at least break even? Uh, this I do not know. Um, so, but in a world of media rights and things becoming cheaper technologically in terms of cameras, in terms of you know, buying server space and getting like, think about how expensive, like you used to have to bring like a satellite truck with you in order to, to like broadcast a feed out into the world. Now you just need like good Wi-Fi and you're going to be good to go. So I, I think that the cheaper the technology becomes, the easier the streamlining of the technology becomes that we're going to see it somewhere outside of the players and the masters. Now the masters is at a huge advantage because same place every year, you can scout the course, you can do whatever. It would be a tricky situation for like the open championship, the PGA championship and the US Open because it's a different venue every single year. Uh, so once you start changing courses around, then you don't know where the shots are supposed to go. You need to have someone really advanced go out and scout it. Now, I'm not saying that you can't do that, but then that's extra money that goes into it. So back to the first thing I said, the infrastructure investment in things like this, even if it's at the level, and maybe they've already done this and they're just saying like, oh, this is stupid, no one cares. But with the way that the PGA Tour is run, I really have my doubts that, just put into the market research. Do people actually want this? And if they do actually want it, what steps do we actually need to take to make this a real thing? What technology do we need? How much does it cost? How do we transport it around? Like, get the answers to these questions. And I think you'll find out it's not as expensive and not as cost prohibitive as maybe it seems. Yeah, look, you nailed a bunch of the points that I kind of think on that as well. I think that offering through their app a stripped down, bare bones, like just a feed, right? And where you can get every group and there doesn't need to be any announcers. There doesn't need to be a fluff, much similar to the masters do it. And they did it, the players. But then I, th I think a little bit about the way it's broadcast currently, where part of it's on ESPN plus, and then it goes over to golf channel and you can't really pick and choose. And there's an abundance commercials. And I give ESPN plus for doing credit, but they're not really invested. I don't think in golf as a project as well. I would like to see that TV deal move. And it, and it was came up and I kind of thought of an interesting thing. You may relate to this. So I took my son to WWE SmackDown two weeks ago and he's seven had a blast of a time but the people there and they ran a little promo before wwe that wwe starting in the year 2025 is shifting all of its content to netflix netflix is in 28 million homes espn plus has like 2 million subscribers what about just a bare bones feed through the app where you can get any players and take the Thursday and Friday broadcast and partner with someone like Netflix who already has the built in subscriber base who doesn't need revenue from commercials because you're already paying them to be a part of the service. Every single person who's going to have PGA Tour Live already has a Netflix account. They're not going to struggle to get people over, and it allows you to show more. I think that Netflix has a better commitment, and they're invested in starting to get into live sports. I think that it would allow us more access in terms of mic'd up caddies, some of the stuff that we saw at Live that I thought was fantastic, maybe a little uncensored of the players a little bit because they're able to do those things that is place like ESPN plus and golf channel and even CBS for that matter, simply can't do because they need that revenue from commercials. Do you think it's like potentially a viable option for the future of golf production to go a route like that? 
Well, it, it really depends. So uh, I actually talked to Richard Deutsch about something yeah. like this today because I brought up the WWE deal with Netflix. Oh, really? To him when we were talking about it. I'm banking shows for my vacation. So I have like a sports media rights deal thing and broadcasting mm. show coming out in about 10 days with Richard and Jeff as we kind of talk through it all. But he made the very interesting point and it kind of clicked in my head. Netflix has no infrastructure to have a live sporting audience and production company, like even Amazon, even though they do the Thursday night football game, I believe they lease out NBC in order to do that. It's NBC or ABC. Like they don't, they do, they are starting to build up an infrastructure of having their own production so they can get into more sports and have their own teams and go cover these things instead of paying an exorbitant rate to go out and lease all of these people, producers, cameramen, the equipment, whatever it might be, the actual feeds themselves and you know, the wires all the crap like that like this the stuff that you don't really think about if you don't understand the production process at all the big win with netflix and wwe is wwe does all of its own production fox mm. doesn't broadcast smackdown like the fox people the wwe right. production team mm. broadcasts smackdown and then sells it to fox for the usa network or peacock or whatever it might be like raw on usa network isn't an nbc production it is a wwe production that is then given as a live stream to uh, the usa network and i i think that's the main case that netflix got in bed with the wwe because they didn't actually have to create any infrastructure as a live events company what they needed to do is figure out how to be a provider worldwide of content all condensed into one place, which just happens to be exactly what they're good at. So I agree with you. The sentiment is there that something like that would be awesome. But and, and again, it's scripted TV over actual live sports like it's a little bit different at the same time uh, because you don't yeah. have I mean, outside of like a major occurrence, like a, a national tragedy of some sort, like you don't have delays kind of yeah. thing like there's no postponements anything right. like that and i don't know what the actual bit rate would take in terms of a live event streaming like how much amazon i mean amazon i mean they own all the servers anyway so what do they care <laughs> but how much that would actually cost to run everything so flawlessly live like I, there has to be a reason that netflix has stayed out of live for so long and i have no idea what mls looks like on apple plus because i don't give a shit about the mls and i don't have apple plus so i legitimately have no idea how that works espn plus seems to do pretty well uh with their live streaming events i, I think the espn plus is a good spot for maybe amazon is a good spot for it if it shifts back over now maybe i have this wrong and the PGA is actually the one producing this and they're selling off the rights to ESPN. I, 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 I just claim naivete with some of yeah. this stuff uh, that it was able to move so seamlessly from wherever it was. I think it was Discovery to ESPN Plus and they kept most of the same crew. Maybe that's just how they do it. But it does seem like there's an NBC team and it does seem like there's a CBS team that travels all throughout. Maybe the NBC team is the Golf Channel team and maybe they share people. I don't know exactly how that works on the actual golf level, but that's always the part that people forget when it comes to, can you move to this network or move to this network? And that's always been the biggest problem for streaming services getting into the live sports game is they simply do not have the infrastructure to make live events and sports work. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I, I understand your points there, and I think that they're all valid. One of the I struggle with their speed of their reaction and their ability to sort of adapt. And I think it's one of the things I have to frankly give Liv a lot of credit for because I watched a ton of the broadcast yesterday. It has gotten significantly better um, from where it was two years ago. 
They are incorporating, they're taking chances, right? And their willingness to improve at a rate that is far much more accelerated than what the PGA Tour has, I think is commendable. There are still some things that I don't love and they can improve on, but I thought that the the final round was was riveting. I really enjoyed it. Like, what was your biggest, I know that you watched a good bit of it too. What was your biggest sort of pro and con of the live coverage that you, you took in yesterday? I, I do like the amount of shots that mm-hmm. we see. But I, the one thing, because I kind of mentioned this on my show when I went through the recap of it, but it's also a lot different when you literally don't have any commercials and no one wants to sponsor you. If your goal isn't to make money, which it doesn't seem like Lives is, then it's great for us as the consumer. But what happens the moment they say, hey, this needs to make money now? What does it start to look like in terms of a broadcast? I worry about that a little bit because right now it's I don't want to say it's flawless, but it's a great viewing experience. Uh, If you're someone who likes golf, likes seeing the entire course, I feel like they could do a much better job of intertwining the story because I do find it. I mean, maybe I'm alone in this. Do you find it confusing once they start cutting to other parts of the course? Because we know like there's five holes to go and like I'm watching Rom and Rom's on 13. It's like Caleb Surrett is birdie putt on three. I'm like, he's on three. Like what's going on here? Like it's just, I, I know like once I take the time to react and think about it, it starts making sense. But in the moment reactionary, I don't feel like they do a very good job bridging the different shots that they're showing, giving it the proper context of why they're showing this to me. Yeah, and you lose sort of track of where guys are at and what they have coming up. Like Phoenix is a great example where we all know the last five holes at TPC Scottsdale. We know there's a very difficult 14th. We know the par five is reachable. Then you have the then you have the reach drivable 17th. You don't always know. What I found in watching it though is strangely, it doesn't always come down to that. They've done, I don't know if it's something that they're doing, but I think their biggest fear is what you said, where you have two guys tied and one guy only has holes three through five left and the other guy has 16 through 18 because it's hard to really understand what those holes look like in the moment. They haven't really necessarily run into that issue. And I think that they stagger the last two groups both on the first hole so that hopefully they're all finishing around. The idea is that they try to get them all finishing on 18, especially the ones playing for the lead. But yeah, it is a bit scattered and hard to sort of keep track of. Absolutely. Yeah. And it'd be weird. That's what they did yesterday. And Sergio uh, finished in the group ahead of Neiman and Rahm and uh, the Burmista Mista lady who uh, shot himself out of contention. So he was waiting at the 18th green. That I liked, but it would have been weird if he had to go play hole number one. Because I have no idea how close 18 and one are to each other in like relative distance at Mm -hmm. Mayakoba. And weirdly, it was Mayakoba, a course I'm like pretty familiar with. What happens when we start going to courses like where we have no pass with it ever whatsoever? Like, it would almost be in the best interest of live to go actually play some courses that we know. I like try to buy, they did that with Mayakoba, but like trying to think of what's a well-known PGA course that like we're all kind of used to that you think might be up for grabs if live wouldn't gave them a bunch of money. And maybe something like they could try to bring back something like Firestone or something like that, where we'd have like a great history of it used to host WGCs. That's kind of in the Mayakoba route, um, even Chapultepec, but they already have the event in Mexico. I've always thought that they can go to these sort of iconic destination courses too. Like they have the, sh- I would love the, the, the Florida one was an absolute mess in Orlando this year. Like I would love to see them go to stream song, which has become a huge popular destination or someplace like a tobacco road or, or these courses that Payne's Valley, for instance, in Missouri, like these places that 
um, sort of garner a lot of attention that all the buddies trips sort of you want to go to this place. I think that if they took advantage of maybe playing some of those courses and giving us an insight and eyes on it, it could be beneficial for them. What was wrong with the tournament at Doral? I actually watched that one. I like that one. Yeah, so they're actually moving it up in the season this year. So they're keeping it, but it is no longer the finale. And they're actually going to play it the week prior to Masters week this year, which I like that better. I think, I mean, it's definitely better than the Crooked Cat or whatever they played last year, the week before Masters week. But I think it was an idea to sort of keep them here and give them a little bit of preparation. And I think that a lot of courses, frankly, are... They're becoming more open to it, but two years ago they were they were scared. You know what I mean? They didn't want their membership kicked back and, and to revolt over them hosting a live event. The, yeah, I, I don't mind your buddy's trip thing. Uh, I would, yeah, go to like iconic courses. Like, I mean, we have two that are yeah. up here that like they would be impossible. And I guess this is the one advantage live would have because no one shows up to watch these things is that you could do it at Cabot cliffs and Cabot links in Nova Scotia in the middle of yeah. the summer, because you don't have to account for 50,000 people showing up and the entire cast and crew of everyone that's coming. You have like, you know, 60 ish players, their families, the crew, and like the cameras and the, it would take a while to like get up there uh, and you might deal with some horrible weather, but it would be amazing. If they can get, if they can do it in some places in Scotland, they can come to Cape Breton, Nova Scotia to figure yeah. that one out because that would just be a great, it'd be so much fun. Like the cliffs is a super easy course, but you could make the links super difficult if you wanted to. And that's the other thing that I think that live should embrace a little bit. Um, and they, they don't seem to want to do that as much as I hate multiple course rotations that if you could get on, like, let's say Pinehurst, you don't get Pinehurst number two, but you can play like Pinehurst number four, one and five or something like that. And those are the three rounds like that would be somewhat compelling to me. Yeah, absolutely. What do what do you think about sort of shifting back gears to the PGA Tour? Two of the top four guys withdrew this morning. Is there anything to that or is it just simply? I think it's just because they got stuck in Pebble Beach and like they can't get out. Yeah. Interesting that those two, though, like of anyone who could have withdrawn, like the PGA Tour put so much emphasis on that. And even though they've taken away its signature status, it's still thought of by many fans as one of the signature and premier events outside of the majors. Uh, We joke that it's sort of the fifth major. And if anyone can afford sort of a, a private flight or a driver to get them out of Pebble Beach and down to Arizona, you would think it would be. Uh, the reigning PGA Tour FedEx Cup champion and someone like Xander. But um, it, I just found it interesting that both of them were were two of like the three people who pulled out today. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's anything to it, to be okay. perfectly honest. And I don't think that Phoenix needs them there. That's the kind of the great draw about Phoenix. Yeah. Think about all the Phoenix fields that led us to me going to have my bachelor party at the Waste Management Open in 2016, like why we all fell in love with Phoenix. It wasn't because it had the best. It's because of the crowds, the tournament itself. That's what we like about it. It's actually a tournament that doesn't need a designated event or a great field. It needs like four or five names that you can get fired up about. And then hopefully like three of them are in contention. Because think, think about it back in the day. Who was it really? Like Phil was there. Bubba was there. Brooks started to go every single year. Spieth started going once he started making his comeback. We've seen JT, but it's not like, oh, here's the list. It's all 50 of the best players in the world. It was nice to give it that reward last year. 
yeah. in a weird way. But I think that the signature event, especially for this part of the year, when you're trying to draw people in to get people interested back in golf, that making the signature event at Pebble Beach makes way more sense than it does in Phoenix. Because people are going to watch Phoenix and care about Phoenix mm -hmm. anyway. It is the ultimate Super Bowl leading. It's like something fun to watch for a few hours while you have your buddies over as you like kind of pregame. Like you don't give a shit about like whatever terry bradshaw fox random 10 minute interviews going on no let's see what's going on in phoenix oh it looks like it's a party people are having fun let's watch some golf it's going to finish half an hour before the super bowl then we can tune in pebble beach makes way more sense as always being the week when football is off always yeah. as a signature event with the best players because if you're trying to draw people back in who haven't paid it they haven't even know golf's most people did not know that golf had started until this week at pebble beach you get probably your uh, most famous non-masters course in America to the viewing public with all your best players. Like that sounds like a perfect recipe. And if weather is nice, Pebble Beach looks great on TV. Yeah, this event looks great on TV too. Pebble was awesome to see those guys taking on. I really feel like we got robbed of an awesome Sunday. Obviously, I don't think that they could have played, but if it was like 30 or 40 mile an hour gusts, I think it would have been fantastic television and would have really captivated a serious audience. But this week is absolutely going to captivate people. Let's talk to let's talk through a little bit of course notes here. Okay, TPC Scottsdale, not that old 1986 design Tom Weiskopf not really a course architect Tom Weiskopf actually won 16 PGA Tour titles during the 70s so a former player who decided to get into golf course architecture I mentioned earlier um, the biggest notable things from my notes are the fireworks that occur on the back nine uh, three of the four easiest holes come down the stretch in 13 15 and 17 you're gonna you could potentially get eagle opportunities on every one of those holes and have nice putts at it as well as three of the toughest holes 14 16 18 plays some of the toughest holes um, it's a great place for chasers we saw that with brooks a few years ago who was six back to start his back nine ended up winning um, one of the notes i had here an interesting stat and i wanted to give a little shout out to fantasy national for is i've looked at this for a number of years and the driver avoidance left and driver avoidance right stats on fantasy national the water at tbc scottsdale is on the back nine and it's almost always on the left side of the hole it's on the left of 11 it's on the left of 12 on the par three 13 is on the right side, but 15 water left, 17 water left, 18 water left. Um, if Weisskopf must have been a fader because you do not want to have a left miss. I took a notes down at some of the players with big noticeable differences. Um, bad. Here's the bad. Scotty Scheffler, driver avoidance left, 130th in the field. Right is 26. Uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick is really bad. Eric Cole has really bad numbers. These are guys with left misses, right? Um, the good. Jordan Spieth, 42nd in left avoidance, uh, 98th in right. JT Poston is a huge swing. He almost never misses left. He's ninth in that category, 128th in right. So it's one of some of the important things that I've noted over the years there. Um, it's a ball strikers playground at this course. It is every year. One of the things, you know, it's kind of one of the sticky course history spots, Pat. If you look, I think Data Golf has it in the top five. I was curious in your opinion of this, if you think it has more to do with players understanding the routing and players that are best suited for the course or is it players that have become more accustomed to the atmosphere and the environment that is more in play in that terms of it being a nice course history spot how many bad players have good course histories here 
I don't and know. Not even bad. How many ones... non-elite players have good course histories here? Yeah, the ones that stick out are the good ones. Hideki, Fowler, Webb, Thomas, Xander, really Scheffler. Yeah. The guy that you just said never play Scotty Scheffler in Phoenix. I believe that was your point when you said the miss left. Misses misses left a lot. Yeah, he's going for the three peat this week. Like like the worst guy. And like I'm just looking at strokes gain total over the past five years on Fantasy National right now. The worst player inside the top. 15 let's say in strokes gain total is matt kuger yeah and then it's like That's billy and then it's jt posted like these guys are all good it's not like brian stewart rules in phoenix every year yeah so That's good right. players play well like I, I was trying to figure that out because one of the big things I, I did the deep dive on my research show this week i tried to flesh it out in the article by the way if you're not subscribed to the mayo media newsletter give your head a shake it's free. It's right on your inbox. And look, my entire article's in there now. I, I've put oh, some good. real effort into it to get people to sign up. Yeah. You have little notes in there for the people who have won it every year. It's it's honestly fantastic. You should absolutely do it. Ted says you're awesome at discussing content. I would agree. Um, you want to talk some bets? I, I do, but my point was that there's a correlation. Just a lot of players' champions have won in Phoenix. But a lot of players who've been great at the U.S. Open, U.S. Open winners, especially in the last 10 years, have also played really well in Phoenix. Maybe just good players win. At the, like We always think like U.S. Open. It's like, yeah, Wyndham Clark, yes, he was a long shot winner. He was just a long shot winner again. He was a long shot winner in another elevated event. Maybe he's just good and we just continue to underrate Wyndham Clark. Uh, yeah. That could be one thing. But even at the players, like you'll get your random outlier that is a deep flyer, but I just, I don't know what the connection is. There's something to it. I just can't wrap my mind around it. Because you would think that players, you know, kind of lines up with the Wyndham. And the Wyndham lines up with Colonial and Sony and Heritage and PGA National. But that's not the case between all of those courses in this course. But it's just the, it's just Sawgrass. Maybe it's a TPC connection. Wysikoff did the Bunny Ranch. Maybe there's some sort of connection there with the Byron Nelson now. I've been trying to rack my brain to figure it out. And I think that all you really need to look at is, Who's in good form? Who's been good here over their career? And who has a good tee to green game? Like who isn't deficient off the tee with approach or around the green? I'm not saying they need to be top five in the world at these things, but who doesn't suck in one of those categories? Like if they suck in one of those categories, just kind of like write them off and go on your way. It's a fair point. It's done a really, probably really good underrated maybe job of separating the most talented players in the world. It's it's much like a U.S. Open. We talk about the farmers that does this every year, and that didn't come true this year. But you look at recent winners. Scheffler obviously went back to back. Brooks won at minus 19 in 2021. Webb in 2020 when Webb was playing really well. Then you had Fowler who always play well here. Gary Woodland won at minus 18, I believe, the year before he won a U.S. Open. And then Hideki went back to back before that. So you're all you're getting really good players every year that are probably up or near their peak of form, which is which is important to note. All of those winners, I believe, between 16 and 19 under par. So uh, that's been the winning score every one of those years. If you're looking to take something added with the Super Bowl prop bets, you can probably get a winning score bet. I'm not sure where it's set at, but I found it interesting that it's all been sort of clustered uh, right in that range. I like it. Let's talk about these bets. I got some I got some opinions now that they formed and crystallized over the course of the day. Uh, here's the board. Scotty Scheffler, five to one is the best number currently available. Justin Thomas, people who got on him early. I wish it was me. It was that was not. me. 
It was you. Good. You're one of the smart ones. Unlike me, uh, I talked to Ryan this morning too, and, and he had it bear off and I asked him if he was lucky or if he got a tip. And he said, I just got lucky. Uh, I didn't know if he knew early that those guys are withdrawing, but Homa's here. Homa, interestingly, didn't really move. He's still at 16 to one Spieth and burns at 20. That's your top of the board. That's pretty much everyone under 30 to one is those five players. Um, you mentioned you have Justin Thomas. Why do you like him so much? I, I think just, you just look at how he, he has three bogey free rounds so far this season. I don't think he had that all of last year, yeah. but he's playing incredibly well. And realistically, yes, Wyndham Clark won. Ludwig came in second. If you go and watch, like just think about Saturday at Pebble Beach, Justin Thomas should have been in the lead of that tournament. He was the they only show guy him. inside the top. It. He was the only guy inside the top 20 on the leaderboard when you looked at it with his two rounds of Pebble who had lost strokes putting. And not only lost, he'd lost almost three strokes putting in the two rounds that he played at Pebble. He just crushed it. T degree. Now he'll do that. This we know. But listen, if that was the case, no one would ever pick Scotty Scheffler to win anything because he'd never make enough putts to actually win. Thomas had actually putted very well coming into that event. He has putted putted historically very well outside of the last two years at this event, but he had got it going in Phoenix a little bit. And unlike Torrey Pines and Pebble Beach and Riviera next week, a lot of putts are made at this course. Unlike those courses where those are difficult greens, these are super easy greens. Yeah, and in boy, Saturday, they didn't show much of JT Saturday, which was frustrating to me as a holder, but they showed a ton of Scotty Scheffler and he missed some bad putts. He's now lost strokes putting in eight of his last nine. Um, but I noticed that at Phoenix, I believe these were his two best performances of the past two seasons each year, respectively. Um, do you think it's a place he just understands or is that just sort of happenstance and that's what comes with victory? I think that comes with victory. Like once you a putter like Scotty, yeah. like I, I did have a note in my column this week that there was a year, I think it was 2019 that as a collective, the field made 81% of their putts from inside 10 feet. Hmm. Like that's, doesn't wow. that sound impossible? Impossible. So when I talked to Michael Kim about why are past Palum green so much different and why can bad putters do that well he's like just the break isn't there you can kind of line it up and just smack it at the hole it sounds like phoenix is kind of the same way yeah and phoenix super fast too which i think creates some of those major championship like conditions where um you know we've seen people like spieth have good putting performances here scheffler um you know of all those guys there though at the top five that i just mentioned it's funny because there's really and this is who I took. So this is the reason that I backed him, but there's really only one consistently good putter of those five guys. And it's Sam Burns. I mean, he is an awesome putter. He's gained an eight of his last nine where Scotty had lost. Um, his approach numbers at Pebble were pretty good. And I really think that he's starting to sort of hone in and dial in his iron play, which is really important to me, uh, especially at a course like this. He was great at the Amex as well with his irons. He should have and was winning that tournament essentially for 70 holes. And that was in the desert. And are we now like Burns was always this volatile character of like, he can win or he can bottom out and miss the cut. We're now getting like consistent Burns seven of his last nine starts inside the top 20. He was T six here last year. And my other sort of note in backing him is the importance of par five scoring here. They're all basically 555 yards 
all reachable. Um, he has, I believe, the third or second best going for the green rate in the entire field in terms of hitting the greens on par fives. He makes gives himself a lot of eagle opportunities, and he's such a great putter. And I believe the consistency with his ball striking has led to a better consistency in his finishes. And 20 to 1 was the number that I landed on. Yeah, he's 21 right now. Um, I don't mind it, but once you bet, I, I bet Justin Thomas at 13 to 1 this morning. Sure. So I miss like the really good numbers. People have like 35s. Uh, yeah. As Jeff Jeff continued just to make picks off the future numbers on our show this morning, which is a lot of fun and very helpful yeah. for people. Like, well, I bet this one four months ago with this number. It's like, very helpful, Jeff. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> what about this week? What if you're going into it blind like most people are at this mm-hmm. point? Uh, so even at like the, I saw Justin Thomas down to 9 to 1 right now at DraftKings. Like, that would be pushing it like there's a massive difference what you're starting to talk about the top of the board between even like 13 and nine like that's 400 bucks on a 100 bet for every 100 bucks you bet you don't get another 400 like that's that's pretty substantial amount Mm -hmm. it's not like i mean yes it's like going from 70 to 65 but percentage wise of what that is in terms of the odds it's not quite the same so you know you're playing with very fine margins at the top and frankly like 13 to 1 is probably not a good number i know that the simulator is up at fantasy national yeah it says uh justin thomas has a six percent chance to win that would put him right around like 16 to 1 uh, or 17 to 1 in terms of like what the actual odds should be for him scotty scheffler uh, has a basically a 10 percent win rate which is outrageous for a tournament with 132 people in it but he right. should really be 10 to 1 that doesn't mean he's not going to win at 5 to 1 but it's probably a bad bet so you're going on your hunches anyway I don't like Burns that much because he just doesn't do exactly what I kind of laid out like yes he can have really nice ball striking weeks yes he can be an electric consistent putter but I don't want an electric consistent putter at an easy putting contest where T to green means the most yeah no you made a good point there about him and and Scotty I was going to ask you what his percentage of winning is because him being priced this, and yes, we lost a couple guys, but his number essentially didn't move because he was the favorite, and he's going for the three-peat, so you can clip this and run it back and bury me with it, but he can't be five to one. You can't be that poor of a putter, I feel, and be five to one. If he had gained two strokes putting at either of these events the last two years, which by his standards is like a five-stroke improvement off his baseline, he doesn't win either one of those, so asking him to repeat that and do that again at five to one is essentially peak near peak tiger numbers. It's the numbers we were getting on John Rom when John Rom was winning four tournaments in two months. and was on an absolute tear and a guy that you can trust with the putter. I just, I can't wrap my head around going with a guy who has that big of a deficiency on the greens at a price at plus four fifty right now on DraftKings and Vandal. I can't get there. Yeah, I can't get there either. And listen, I don't bet golfers at five to one in full field tournaments. I'm bet I'm betting them at thirteen to one in full field tournaments with a guy who never wins. Mid range, uh, we go jump all the way from twenty to there's a thirty three to one on Ben on currently. Then you get Min Woo there, who's making his first appearance here. Uh, I'm sure there will be some fanfare around the chef Min Woo Lee at thirty three to one. Sung Jay at a decent number. Wyndham Clark coming off a a 54 hole victory at 33 to one Cameron young, JT Poston, Matt Fitzpatrick, Sahith the gala, Tom Kim. These are some of the names in that 30, 35 to 40 to one range. Anyone here sort of pat in the middle range that you have isolated that you think might be a decent value still, even after the line movement this morning. What'd you say? The gala was at DraftKings or the best number 35 to one. I bet him at 45 this morning. I'd probably still bet. I have a 40. 
Yeah, I, I, I just like Thigala here. Like, he should have won. Poor Cust. Didn't know who Thigala was from, like, anyone <laughs> in the world. Sees him on, like, 16. Well, before the Super Bowl, once he shows up to my place, he's like, oh, I really like this guy. He's definitely going to win. Water on 17. The end of Sahith. His mom's crying behind the green on 18. So it's a nice redemption story for Sahith. Uh, and it's a place where... And if you can just avoid hitting it all over the place, primarily into the water, that his erratic driving has actually played here. He's gained strokes each of the last two years. His approach was abysmal a year ago. He must have hit it in the water a bunch of times. I don't know what the hell happened. But again, but he's generally someone who has like a pretty good approach game, a very good driving game, and is immaculate around the greens and generally runs a hot putter. That's why I would like him over someone like Burns. Because we know that the peak for Burns is there for all this stuff. It's just the Gala does it, does the tee to green stuff far more consistently in every aspect than Burns does. Yeah. Thigal has been fantastic off the tee. He's gained an eight of his last nine starts. He's actually in the midst of his best sort of approach, like six tournament combined run um, of his career right now. He's averaging 1.2 strokes on approach, which is his clear weakness as a player. You mentioned the prowess around the greens. He's got unbelievable hands. He's got short game. He's got touch. He's got all the tools to get up and down from just about anywhere. Um, and and he, you're, the spike putter is valid. Like he's had really, really good spike gaining two, three stroke finishes. But the volatility is part of the reason you get this price here. The other one that I like and I I, I just can't quit right now. He's on the ridiculous run continues and it's 35 to one on JT Poston. Can't do um, it. Can't do it. You, you go back 13 starts. He's consistently in the top 25 every single week. I think he makes a great top 20 then, bet this yeah, week. Yeah, but bet him top 20. It sounded like you were going to say bet him at 35 to 1 to win this tournament. I think he can win. You don't believe That's, so? I, I'm sure he can win. Do you Do you want to, like, the, it's funny because someone bet Wyndham Clark because I made this point on the show. I wish I had listened to me. Okay. But when we were going through the odds last week and Bo Hostler was 50, I was like, Bo Hostler is 50 to 1 to win this specific golf tournament and major champion Wyndham Clark is 80 to 1. Think about that. And it's not like Wyndham Clark won his major 15 years ago. He just won the U.S. Open. Like, what are we doing with JT Poston? I like JT Poston. And he's better than Eric Cole, but he's in, like, the Eric Cole zone. Like, same odds this week. Who would you rather bet? Eric Cole, Hideki, or Adam Scott to win this tournament? Yeah. Um, I'm, I would take Hideki. I would take Hideki, too. No one, yeah. People might bet Cole at that number, and that's why he's listed at that number. But, yeah. like, let's be real here. This isn't a weak field at the Heritage where Eric Cole would likely have a chance of winning. JT Poston, I mean, JT Poston's a great player. He won at Heritage. I think he won at Heritage. He came second at Wyndham, won at Heritage, and he won, won John Deere. Like, yeah, maybe he will sneak in one of these bigger events throughout the course of his career. But mm -hmm. I feel like he's a Billy Horschel. Yeah, look... I mentioned that I'm on an awfully cold run, so it's hard for me to just like back someone based on gut and ignore some of these stats that appear to be jumping off the page. If you look at his stat profile, um, it's unbelievable. Like Data Golf has him the number 12 player in the world right now. His his approach game has been fantastic, and obviously he runs he runs with a quick putter. But you made it like look, that's a fair point. You can have JT posting at 35 to one. Or if this place plays, like you look at the number of U.S. Open winners that I mentioned there between Scotty, between Gary, between Brooks, and you have a U.S. Open recent winner in Matt Fitzpatrick at the exact same price. So um, maybe it's just an option where you take the discount on a premier player who has won majors, who has won big time events and is 35 to one versus a guy who's who's won a couple John Deere's.
Yeah, and listen, I, I was think I almost said that Ben Ann is a good bet. I don't think it is at thirty to one, but like I'm very interested in Ben Ann because I really I do think. I mean, his biggest career win is what Wentworth, which I would say is a much bigger yes. win than anything that JT Poston has. Yes. And I've seen him play well at U.S. Opens in the past. I've seen him well play well against top tier competition. It's just it never comes through for him. Hence why I am not betting Ben Ann. I would love to see it happen, and he's played well here in the past. I think his skill set more aligns with what this course demands like Poston has a good history here but again like you said a top 20 bet that makes all the sense in the world to me to win this I mean is he going to turn into Webb Simpson from that 18 month stretch when Webb Simpson was in so incredible he couldn't be touched maybe mm -hmm. that happens for him but that's very unlikely like he is playing to the peak of his powers and what would you say data golf has him ranked in the world 12th well data golf has him up to number 12 so, in the world. Da he's, so data golf like ahead of speeth he's ranked ahead of thomas he's ranked ahead of fitzpatrick he's ranked ahead of some big names is he like is he ranked ahead of brooks kepka and john rom yes not john rom but it's head of brooks all right so the the, the data golf like power pole rankings are about as good as like the cut line percentages on like any given five minutes. Yeah, pretty much. No, oh, but they, they, data golf says it's 74%. And it's Russell like, oh, Henley's here, 11. Why don't, why don't we give it two minutes? And now it's 40%. All right. 50, 40%. How could it ever happen? 50 to a hundred range. I mentioned I took Hideki. I can't quit Hideki. I don't know why he's got the back-to-back -back wins here. I saw a decent performance with the irons at the farmers and I'm just probably going to uh, blindly plug my nose and bet the 60 to one, but there are some other decent players here. You mentioned Cole, you mentioned Adam Scott, like what about Hideki versus Ricky? Um, they both played fantastic here. Is one of them like, do you prefer one over the other? I, I bet Hideki. Okay. <laughs> So you got I'm, him. I'm such a loser. What about Akshay? I heard you say you really like Akshay. I you love said, you know, Akshay, but he was 65 to one when I went to go bet him. I was like, what are we like? And this is sort of the, the crappy thing about it. Cause yesterday when I did my research show, he was a hundred to one at DraftKings. And then I don't have DraftKings where I'm located. So I have to go bet on my site. They didn't open until this morning. And all of a sudden he was 65. I was like, ah, oh, like losing 35 points on a bet is, is, is it's oh. a tough scene. It's very tough. Yeah. Thomas. I kind of like Thomas Detry at 81. You know, I was, I was super impressed with him. He was up with probably the two best tee to green guys right now, maybe in the world. And he played with Scotty Scheffler and Ludwig, and he was right there with them. He was hitting fairways. He was sticking iron shots. Like he stood toe to toe with those two guys on Saturday at Pebble. And I walked away pretty impressed. Who knows? Uh, well, we probably know what would have happened to Thomas Detry on a Sunday, but we'll never really know. Um, he's up here at 80 to one. Kevin, you like maybe in the desert. I know he's a Scottsdale native guy and played really good at the Amex and the Sony. There are a couple of long shot guys here who I'm, I have not bet, but I'm a little bit interested in. Yeah, I, I went with two of them um, and different reasons i suppose i just looked at the simulator and the simulator loves one of the guys that i bet so i'm very happy about that i love when the simulator like confirms my priors i'm like well obviously it's a good bet for what i got him at i really like austin eckrope this week okay he was top 10 at the u.s open last year and played the wisekoff bunny ranch he should have won that tournament he came in second uh made the cut in his debut here the simulator has him as like the ninth favorite to win this tournament which Fantastic news for a guy who's 175 to one played him with a top five each way. That's more of a gut play that I think that he's good. And I think that he's going to win at some point. I feel, I mean, enough of us have bet on him over the course of the past 12 months that I think that we all think that he's going to win at some point. Um, this is probably too big of a spot, but you know, maybe he, sometimes you have to project what you think a player is going to be 
as well when you make some of these longer shot bets that when we go back and look at the previous winners five years from now, and Austin Eckrode is one of those guys is going to be like, Oh man, do you remember, do you remember Austin Eckrode? How the hell did he win this tournament? It's like, Oh yeah, of course he won. He's good. I think it's more the lab. He's not going to do, he's not going to go full Kyle Stanley and win this and never do anything else again. Right. Well, Kyle Stanley, I mean, Kyle Stanley won Memorial, didn't he? Or the Quicken loans. Did he? Yeah. I had him that week. It was okay. great. Um, either way, he only won because Spencer Levine had probably the biggest meltdown I've ever seen of anyone leading a tournament outside of Robert Garrigus on the back nine here. Levine was like slicing it into the desert. He got a cactus stuck in his ass. He started chain smoking on the course. They never show anyone smoking on the course. I have the link in my newsletter to it that he was smoking so much. They couldn't not show him smoking. It was hilarious. Love it. What about uh? You got any love for this kid, Jake Knapp? After a great performance last week, it was hundred. You mentioned you had two. Who was the other guy? Tom Hoagie. Okay, love that one. Yeah, Hoagie's heating up, and yeah. he is he is the perfect type of player. I think he doesn't quite fit the U.S. Open narrative, but there is one narrative that we do overlook that we've seen play out at this tournament. James Hahn did it the year that Brooks ended up winning uh, where he just kind of went nuclear for a while. Like if you had to power rank the players on tour who can just kind of go nuclear for 12 holes, wouldn't Hoagie be very close to the top of that list? Absolutely. He had a couple of those runs at Pebble last week. Cause I had, I picked him at to win Pebble. So I was paying very close attention to him. Yeah. And I mean, he did that at the players. He came third at the players championship last yeah. year. Cause I think he made eight birdies in a row at some point. Like if he's feeling it, he's going to sit and like, he just, he has, has to hit the fairway. Don't get into trouble. Just even if it's your longer irons, he will sit there and fire at every pin. And that is, I mean, JT did it here one time. I think he was like nine under through 10 holes. And he found the water like five times in a row and took himself out of the tournament. But like those stretches exist at this course and he's the right type of long shot to try to capitalize. And I don't expect him to win, but he's a hundred to one. And you, you listed off some of those names that are at you know 70 to one or 65. Yeah. Like I like, I like Batia as much as the next guy. And I think that he kind of fits the same mold as well. But like at this point in time, Hoagie's a better player. Yeah. I ran a very uh, rudimentary mixed condition model over on fantasy national and Hoagie rated out fantastic. So he's not good off the tee, but if he's able to mitigate that with some of his accuracy, plus the elevation here, it's the second highest elevation on tour and the fairways are usually firm. You can get some roll, but you look at the strokes gain approach 11th proximity ranges from 150 to 200 yards, which is going to be the bulk of your iron shots this week. He's 11th and third. So he's clearly been striking it very well over his last short term. 24 rounds is kind of what I looked at there, but I like Hoagie a lot. Have you liked the, uh, the new setup where you can see your mixed condition rank next to your actual model rank? Yes, I think that there are a number of improvements that have gone down at Fantasy National over the last couple of weeks that have started to roll out that I'm a big fan of. Yeah, we, we got more on the way. Uh, the, the one you need to really check out is that. C have you checked out the season long planner? No. All right. Just are you on the site right now? Yes. Click on season long planner. It's at the top in one of the uh, like where all the icons are now. Okay. It's, it's, I got it here, right? Yeah. So it is a guide if you're trying to plan out the one and done or uh, best ball drafts or whatever. It shows like firm commitments to tournaments the moment that they happen all the way down throughout the rest of the season. Very cool. 
So if you do are someone who plans out a season long league, you're one and yeah. done and trying to find lesser guys potentially at some of these tournaments and underdog best ball. This is a very good tool for that. Very good stuff, man. Uh, thank you for joining me on the show tonight, Pat. I know that uh, it's a little past your usual recording time, but I appreciate you making the time for me. I wish you all the best. Uh, thanks again. Let everyone know where they can sign up for that newsletter before you get out of here. Yeah, Mayo Media Newsletter at Substack. You can always find it in the description of any of my videos or podcasts. I just added uh, two listeners leagues this week to uh, my video that I did with Jeff. Obviously, my show with Tambo will come out tomorrow, and we'll talk more about it there. But if you want to go get your spots, there's 3,000 spots in the golf one and 1,250 in the Super Bowl one. But three max entry, they're going to fill super quick, uh, as they do every week. That If you want to get into a rake-free contest on DraftKings, a.k.a. the best tournaments to play on DraftKings, where all the money is just circulated between all of us, which is nice, and DraftKings doesn't take their cut, those are the spots to go get it and... If you sign up for a free membership this week at runthesims.com, you get access to all the tools, all the sims, all of the optimizers, the prop sniper that is free for the Super Bowl. If you want to go check out Run the Sims, just create an account with your email. I steal your email, but you get to use it for a week for free. So you don't have to pay anything, no credit card, nothing like that. Uh, if you just ever want to check out the site, spring football is coming. But if you want to make some bets on the Super Bowl or fill out some like showdown lineups, uh, runthesims.com, completely free right now. Very good stuff. A pro's pro. And congrats on the driver, by the way. I, I tweeted you. I was finished seventh in that contest, and I scroll up to see who's on top. The one and only PME takes it down. So I haven't won an outright bet this year. I have won three GPPs on DraftKings. Three. Three. Wow. That's yeah. strong. The moment that I don't know if like they coincided and like we needed the marketing boost for it, but the moment we made the new tools at Fantasy National Live, yes. I just started winning GPPs. There you go. That's the best marketing push you can possibly have. Yeah. Um, loser Pat, career loser Pat Mayo starts winning. Win. Use tools, fantasynational.com slash mayo, 20% off. Use those tools. If for any reason you're not following Pat on Twitter, it's at the PME. Uh, thanks again, Pat, for joining me on the show. We'll talk soon, pal. Yeah, man, we got to do a home and home. You got to be on next week. I'll see you there. Later. All right, guys. Awesome to talk to Pat as always. Super gracious that he would present me with some of his time. And hopefully I'll I'll get the call up to be on the, uh, the DraftKings show soon. Um, Wanted to do some final thoughts really quickly before I get out of here. And I thought about this because I've heard a lot of pushback with a couple of things. One with Joaquin Neiman this week, and people are sort of very critical of him. And they've been critical of Liv as well. Um, I think because he's not in any of the major championships and sort of trying to bury him for that. So I thought about this with Neiman. I thought about this with Grayson Murray earlier in earlier in the season, and I wanted to sort of take a few minutes to, to speak my opinion on it. Look, if you if you haven't made a big mistake at some point in your life, then I, I just can't relate to you. Um, I've done so. Um, if you're unwilling to sort of move past someone's errors or mistakes or missteps that they have made in them life and present them with a sense of forgiveness, um, then that's a perspective that I think is ultimately going to be toxic for you and release the grudge, man, uh, especially on things like this, like live like Neiman, like Murray that are out of your control. Forgiveness is a huge part of that. And if it does not negatively impact you in your personal life, the easiest thing for you to do is forgive and move on. If you can't, if you can't provide 
forgiveness and acceptance for someone who made a mistake and is actively, actively trying to become a better person because of it. Um, it says more about you than it does of anyone else. It's social media sort of perpetuates this and this toxicity and negativity that is sometimes rewarded on apps like Twitter and like Facebook, but the thought process itself in tearing down an individual for their concepts or a mistake that they've made or an event or a league or anything um, because you would never do such a thing, it's wrong. Um, you can hate it for what it did to the sport, but they're trying to innovate and they're trying to make the sport better. You can hate Grayson Murray for saying some cringeworthy and frankly awful things while he was dealing with being a belligerent alcoholic that's fine but he's trying to become a better person and a better human now and you not being able to provide a sense of forgiveness for someone in that environment says more about you than it does of anything else control the things that you can control and eliminate those negative thoughts from your mind and i think that it will allow you to focus on things that lead to a more positive result for yourself personally let go Focus on shifting that energy into something positive. I hope that you do so this week. I hope that you hit a winner at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. And I hope that you have a fantastic Super Bowl Sunday. For anyone who joined the show, um, you guys are the absolute best. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. Make sure to retweet this on social media. Make sure to tell a friend. I genuinely appreciate all of your support. Good luck in Phoenix. I will catch you all next week as we detail and break down Riviera. Uh, great to see you guys again. This has been the Preferred Lines program. I'm Joe Idoni. I'm out of here. Peace. Mm -hmm.